0: And I really look forward to seeing you there. That web address one last time slash AMA. Support for this podcast comes from Total Jobs. Are open vacancies holding your business back? Your business is losing money every day that a vacancy is unfilled. But you don't need me to tell you that. What the team at Total Jobs do want me to tell you is that the days of posting and hoping are over. Let go of what's holding your business back with technology that's bringing businesses and people together better than ever before. Get in touch to find out how TotalJobs can improve your hiring. Visit TotalJobs.com online today. There's been more of scientific discovery. More of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine, and in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 462 of the Recruiting Future podcast. This is a very special crossover episode with the Talent Savvy podcast, hosted by Baz van der Hatred and Marlies Farrell. It was a pleasure to join them for a conversation about the latest thinking in candidate experience, undoubtedly an evergreen topic in talent acquisition. If you've not listened to the Talent Savvy podcast before, I would highly recommend subscribing for a great mix of informed opinion and practical advice.
1: Welcome to a unique crossover episode between the Recruiting Future podcast and Talent Savvy. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are doing something we've not done before yet. We're having a co-host on who is not part of our co-host community, but who is one of the most experienced and greatest podcasters, as far as I'm concerned, in the TA industry. Matt Older, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure to to be here. I always get confused with these crossover podcasts as to whose show it is, whether it's my show or your show. But no, an absolute pleasure to be here.
1: It's both our shows, I think. So could you introduce yourself to
0: our audience? Absolutely. So I'm Matt Alder. I'm the host of the Recruiting Future podcast. Recruiting Future interview-based podcast runs twice a week, and I've been working on that for almost eight years now. This feels like longer but almost eight almost eight years now i'm also a consultant in and around the talent acquisition space focusing a lot on technology and the future and previous to all of that i worked in recruitment marketing and employer branding
1: and the other co-host is marlise ferrell from canada marlise you're very well known to the talent savvy podcast but probably not as much to recruiting future podcast audience can you introduce yourself quickly as well
2: Absolutely. Hi, everyone. My name is Marlise, and I am a recruiting leader and founder and day job recruiter. So in my day job, I work at Pinterest. I'm also the founder of a woman's wellness journal, and I formerly led talent acquisition teams. I also have a passion for candidate experience and branding. So excited to talk about this with you. And for anybody in Matt's audience, why don't you tell them a little bit about you, Vass?
1: Yeah, my name is Bas van der I've been on Matt's podcast a few times now in those eight years. I am a consultant on both the talent acquisition attraction piece. Um, I've been running a corporate career size research here from the Netherlands where I'm from for 16 years in a row now. And I've been consulting on basically improving talent acquisition in a broad sense with many things from governments to uh, a few agencies and and a lot of uh, corporates. And I'm also a very big consultant these days on selection technology and improving uh, both your candidate pool, as well as if you have to still have too many people applying, uh, getting the right candidates out of there. And that's basically what I do. So today we are talking about what is new and fresh in the candidate experience. And is that something or is that absolutely nothing? And this is based on an ERE article by Kevin Grossman, a man I absolutely admire a lot for what he's done for this industry. And if I'm not mistaken, he was on one of the Recruiting Future podcasts as well,
0: Matt. I think I think he's been on twice, actually.
1: Yeah, so those are well worth listening to. Melis, could you quickly introduce the article and what Kevin... States there.
2: Yeah. So to summarize his article really briefly, although I recommend everybody uh, goes and reads it and we'll link it in our notes, he argues that there have been no drastic innovations in candidate experience, but the most important things to candidates remain frequent and respectful communication, allowing candidates to really understand your company and culture. And then finally, providing feedback, which I'm coming from the North American perspective. North American recruiters don't do very well. Europeans do slightly better, having worked in Europe as well. But the, those are the three more important things. There's definitely some interesting, in a like little insights in there too. He does note that candidate resentment is down, which is nice to see. But he argues that there's been nothing. You know, very, very new in this area, but I know that not all of us agree. Matt Bass, what do you think?
0: Oh, well, I think it's a great article, and I, I, you know, like Bass, I've got a lot of respect for the the work that that Kevin does. What I think is brilliant is about is the amount of research that that comes with that. So everything that it, him and his colleagues write about is based on the the research that they do and what's actually happening in the marketplace. Do I agree with the article? I think it's a bit complicated. The title is obviously provocative, mainly to wind people like Bass up <laughs> about nothing, nothing changing. And you know, I think I think we'll probably get into the the kind of the nitty gritty of, of of some of the points that he raises. And I'm sure that we can all come up with examples, sort of for and against, for and against that. But I, I think that the principle here is that. When people talk about the candidate experience, you you get a lot of um, you know commentary and discussion that says, "Why are we still talking about this? Nothing has ever changed. Everything's still the same. It's still terrible. You know, why have we not fixed it?" And I think that. Which is kind of not what Kevin's doing in this article, but that really sort of looks at this very kind of black and white thing that it's either wrong or it's right, and it can be fixed, and it's really easy. And I think that you know, certainly when I was talking to interviewing Kevin last year, we, we were really talking about it being this continuum. It's continually cha- It's continually changing. It's not a thing that you can fix. There are there are lots and lots of constituent parts of it. Um, obviously during the pandemic, things changed. After the pandemic's changed, things have changed. But I think in the article he's talking about the you know the, the core principles that that sit behind this and is perhaps arguing that they remain the same. So in, in that sense, I do broadly agree with what he's saying. However, I think that one of the things that the article perhaps doesn't cover is the amount of innovation that we've seen in technology and the way that organisations can use that. And I'm really interested in terms of how people can offer. An automated personalized experience at scale. Um, and I think that's the, that for me is a real sort of focus of discussion over the next couple of years in terms of how can we improve the candidate experience by using some of the tools and methodologies that we now had that we probably didn't have 10 years ago.
1: I totally agree with you on that. Matt. And actually, when I was reading the article, I was thinking of a lecture I once saw from Linda Grattan, who is one of the most amazing professors in the London Business School, as far as I'm concerned. And she described the situation she had with... Uh, Sinai I think that one of the nomad people in uh, Africa where she said well things change and nothing changes because every morning they still go out with their goats to look for water in this vast desert yet now that when they found it they actually call each other up on cell phones so human nature doesn't change there's still a nomad people looking for water in a really deserted area yet the means of communicating and getting your brother over there with his herd of goats has been vastly changed because it used to be not possible. So, uh, and that's actually what I felt with this article as well. Um, No, human behavior, human need, human desires do not change. So when he writes, people want honest feedback, people want uh, frequent communication, people want information which is relevant for them that's basically what he's saying i'm like yeah that is absolutely true but what has changed is our ability to deliver on this at scale and i actually remember the very first time and uh, I think you remember this man as well, when Keith Robinson, who was, of course, a big proponent, he actually launched the very first uh, a candidate experience. He was the first person to ever coin the term, if I'm not mistaken, back in the day. And he was talking about that on one of my events in the Netherlands, and we actually had somebody standing up in the audience saying, yeah, but if I don't put a no-reply email address to my candidates, they'll start emailing me. That's not what I want. (laughs) I mean, that was the mentality back then because there was just no idea. And this was, of course, early days in digital recruiting. And now we have scalable technologies to actually give those frequent updates and help people with that. So that's why I agree and disagree with him. Marlise, what are your thoughts?
2: What really fascinates me though too is that this isn't a new idea, but yet if we look at, some of the stats in this article. So many people don't do the basics. So many candidates don't get a response. So although you know you're saying like nothing is new, I even worked at an organization. I want to say like five or six years ago that when I started, they told me, "Oh, we don't email candidates; we just ghost them." And I was like, "Well, that's not going to be how I operate here," um, because that's just not with my ethos. So although I think. Ultimately, this all boils down to treating people with respect and treating them kindly. And now we do have the benefit of technology. It's shocking when you look at some of the numbers of this report, how few candidates get that feedback, hear from somebody, even though we do have this technology. And I think there's so much that's changed to help recruiters deal with this volume, deal with all of these things. But yet... So many talent teams aren't doing these things. And I think that's why this continues to be a topic of conversation because although there is so much out there, so many don't use it. And what I'd be curious, why do we think that is? I'm
1: really curious too because you just said something interesting and um, uh, I just related it to the Recruitment Flex podcast from Canada, from your area uh, of the world uh, and uh, search actually said one of the reasons we do not provide specific feedback in rejection emails is because of legal issues we might get sued which is something i think completely north american uh, uh, because it's impossible within europe as far as i know Um, but do you think that's one of the reasons why in america there's so little feedback
2: yeah. So I think in Canada, I, I've heard that feedback too. I actually in university had a part-time home at, job at Home Depot where they said, we don't provide like even references due to, due to legality. The reality is in Canada, I think it's actually very difficult to sue unless you say to somebody, I'm not hiring you because you're a woman or something like that. A a discriminatory reason, yes, you could be sued. But actually to give somebody like honest feedback, you're very unlikely to be sued and they're even less likely to be successful. In the United States, it's a lot murkier and I think people can win. In Canada, we don't have the same concept of like the civil trial where you're going to win like the millions of dollars. But a lot of Canadian teams have been founded by like ex-Americans who I think are bringing this like American bias into it. But I did find that too because I worked in Amsterdam and I really loved the honest feedback teams gave. And that's something I brought back when I went back to North America is to start giving a lot more honest feedback. The one thing I do, which takes an extra step is because Canada, it's in Canada and the States are a little bit more sensitive is I do ask for an opt-in like, would you like some feedback? Because I do find unlike Europe, where I found everybody wanted it, I had a lot of candidates in Canada tell me, I don't really want to hear. But I I would say about 80% do. But I just ask them like in my automated email at the at the bottom, it says, I would be happy to provide you with some feedback provided that you would want it. And I think if they opt into it, you should be fine.
1: All right, really interesting. Well, what I want to do next is because, of course, a major difference between the Recruiting Future podcast and Talent Savvy is Recruiting Future looks more to the strategy and we try to be more actionable to operational, tactical. I'm really curious, uh, Matt and and Marlies, of course, as well, to get some specific examples for how we have changed both the uh, frequent and respectful communications. If you, you see some really interesting uh, implementations of technology, you heard some great case studies of, of companies doing that really well, some insights into your company uh, culture and work play and the, the, the feedback system. If we have some examples of companies doing either one of those really, really well. Matt, have you seen any interesting cases on your podcast recently?
0: yeah i've had a couple in recent episodes and i, I think it's interesting you know the, the way this article is split down it talks about you know communication and and you know regular communication and then it talks about feedback you know as a, as a kind of a separate thing and i think that one of the interesting things is that you know there, there is it, it's kind of like what do lots of candidates actually want and i think that you know, while feedback is is important to to many people, I think Marley's interesting there. You're saying that people are actually opting out of of getting that the consistent and regular communication through the process. I'm guessing is something that, that that would be important to to absolutely everyone, and 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 that whole kind of recruitment black hole is what we sort of hear about hear about the most often. So a few few examples from from recent podcasts that sort of speak to things in this in this article. The bit about that kind of level of communication and feedback. And it also struck me when you were talking about not wanting candidates to kind of get in touch. And and, and that really, I think, comes from almost like the, the old methods of recruitment marketing, where we could only put out sort of very untargeted newspaper adverts, and companies were genuinely terrified by getting thousands and thousands of You know, irrelevant applications, and that happened in the early days of the internet as well. But actually, you know, we live in an era where we can do very targeted, very targeted marketing now in terms of the amount of people coming through the process and how we manage that. And a company I think who does this in lots of really interesting ways is HubSpot, the technology company. And it's not really surprising because marketing and personalization and recruit recruit you know and and um, crm is there is is their corporate dna but the the one thing that they really focus on that i think helps them you know throughout this process in terms of knowing how and when to communicate is the work they do understanding their audience so it's kind of like who are we who are we recruiting what are their motivations how do they like to be communicated with and spoken to because you know certainly if i've been going through a recruitment process I'd prefer, you know, some regular friendly emails than someone calling me all the time to tell me what's going on. And other people might be completely opposite. So I think that, that work to understand the audience as much as you can, obviously not potentially as individuals, but just in terms of you know, the, the, the sort of likely groups of people, you know, applying to different, different, you know, different roles and different things like that. Um, you know, I thought that was a, you know, that's a, that's a kind of a, a great example of being able to properly tailor the communication by getting as much information upfront as possible to give people that great experience the other thing about exposing people to the corporate culture and communicating about the culture of the organization rather than just focusing on what the job does a couple of examples again from recent podcasts i did a podcast on onboarding with a company called live ramp one of the things that they were talking about is how they consider their onboarding process that actually starts in the very first part of recruitment, marketing and employer branding, because at that point, they're starting to communicate their culture. And they're doing that via the stories of their employees. And they saw that, you know, onboarding, employer branding, all these things completely linked. And, you know, they had statistics about, on average, you know, successful candidates are exposed to stories about our culture five times during the, you know, recruitment process. Or they need to sort of, you know, touch, touch in with us three or four times before they're likely to apply. And that level of understanding about how that process works again, I thought was great. And then another sort of culture example, um, I was talking to a guy called Kevin DeWalt from a consultancy that helps Fortune 500 companies implementing AI in their business. And they just released a report on how to recruit data science professionals. And again, it kind of went back to what HubSpot were doing. They kind of really understood that actually the thing that really focuses on the success or failure of someone in that role is is their line manager and who they work for. And for that audience, that is the most important thing. They want to know that they're working for someone who actually understands what they do and is going to help them develop their career. So their advice and the companies that they were working for were actually including biographies of the line manager in the, actual, in the job description. Um, and I thought, again, that was a great way of understanding the audience, getting your culture across, um, and just you know, really setting out a great candidate experience from the, from the start. So I suppose they're the, they're the examples that I've come across most recently of, of slightly different thinking in this area.
2: For me, the company that stands out the most, and I've stolen their idea or borrowed their idea is a Canadian company called Ecobee that does smart thermostats. And they write when you apply to a job, they provide a really detailed thanks for applying email that lays out the interview process specifically for that role, accurate timelines, and when they'll get back to you at every stage of the process, a little bit about who will be reviewing your application, what they're looking for. It's a very detailed email, but what I think it does so effectively is it tells candidates what to expect. It lets you know and they stick to it about what your application experience will look like. The, one of the biggest things I hear from candidates is you don't know if your application's going anywhere. You don't know when you'll hear. And I think Ecobee did an exceptional job in this email, which is scalable. It goes out to every candidate. They just customize it per role. In really setting those expectations, which I think is a good foundation of the candidate experience, is telling people when to expect what. And if your team can stick to that, even if it's not as quick as you'd like, that's something that's actionable and scalable that I think sets your team up for success.
1: Absolutely. And um, one of the things which I actually um, um, just thought about, because of what Matt said uh, about uh, ways of communicating. So we have a Dutch, one of our biggest insurance firms, which is like genuine old school corporates. And they now have a question in their application form, how do you want our recruiter to reply to you by WhatsApp, by uh, email, or do you want us to call you? And When they started this, I was like, how did you ever get that within your organization? He's like, I'm the head of TA. I just tell them to (laughs) to do it. And by the way, most do not want phone call conversations, but those who do want, we are now in strong, better touch with. And we actually, we're tailoring basically our responses to their preferred methods. So yeah, no, I, I genuinely thought that was amazing uh, as well. Uh, and to my surprise, I expected a lot of others to follow suit, but they haven't yet. And if you're talking about, by the way, uh, plenty of feedback, um, there are two companies which I have seen do that really, really well. And it wasn't as much the plenty of feedback, but the quality of the feedback. Uh, And one was actually uh, many years ago already where they simply send out and they use an assessment tool, of course, because else you can't do that. But they literally gave and that's almost mandatory in the Netherlands. It's not law, but the Dutch Institute for Psychologists demanded. So everybody who does assessments uh, does that. They give the candidates a response. And they simply say, this, this is the bar. So, for example, this was for a contact center job. Uh, for ear-hand coordination, you need to be at 75%. You are below that, and that's why we're rejecting you. So, based on their test, and they're like, this is our bottom level... And they were auto-rejecting. And the most amazing thing I saw from that, I actually saw some emails from candidates who said, this is the most humane rejection I've ever had. And that was the only rejection they probably ever had where no human was in the loop, which just comes to consider candidate feedback. Another one which I really love was from Australia, where they, uh, again, based on another uh, uh, test uh, very early on in the process, they would tell people, I'm sorry, You are not going to qualify for our traineeship in investment banking, but actually you will be able to qualify for our traineeship as an auditor because, for example, you're way too risk averse, which is a great talent to have as an auditor, but investment bankers are the ones taking the risk, so your profile doesn't fit. And they were actually able to give the really quality candidate feedback and have people Um, basically go into the areas of their company where they were experiencing not enough applicants and they they were able to increase the numbers for their audit traineeship, which had never been able to hit targets, to target level. So that's, uh, um, and it's not about plenty of feedback, but also the quality of the feedback. And I think that might actually be something we need to, Think about as well. Do we actually have the tools to give them quality feedback, Matt?
0: I think that's a really interesting point, actually, because I think that very often a lot of the conversations around this is like companies must give feedback, companies must give feedback, companies must give feedback, and they don't do it because they're too lazy, they're too busy, that, but yeah, all these all these kind of things. Um, and it reminds me of a really interesting conversation I had with an organization that for, will, for obvious reasons, will have to net, remain completely anonymous and nameless. And they were just introducing assessment tools and the the head of TA was, it was, it was kind of a weird organization. It was the head of TA, but he didn't actually, didn't actually control a lot of the recruitment that was going on. And they were delighted because they had this kind of single point of entry assessment where they were able to give people automated but quality feedback. And previously they'd not given feedback because they were concerned as an organization that sometimes the decisions that hiring managers were making on recruiting people might not actually be logical or defensible, you know, not necessarily discriminatory, but just actually quite difficult to explain um, to someone who'd applied for a job who had similar kind of applications. So there was a bit about the, you know, that whole sort of gut feel part of the recruitment process that people sort of, you know, people sort of talk about. It was actually really difficult for them to explain why they'd made a decision, and maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was surprised considering the type of organisation that that was—that they weren't kind of you know more structured and you know appropriate in the way that they're recruiting, and that kind of made me think that that maybe this happens at a lot of uh, uh, a lot of organisations, and we just don't hear about it.
1: No, true. And and sometimes I remember uh, when I was consulting with a very small legal firm, we rejected a candidate on spelling errors, which is, by the way, something I was dead set against because we know that spelling errors have no uh, relevance to somebody's work quality until they told me like, yeah, but she needs to be able to communicate with our clients as well. And they're going to be appalled by spelling errors in client communications and it's still a difficult one but actually when we did reject this person she completely went nuts and actually made a uh, that was was racist because uh, she, her last name wasn't originally Dutch and that they were basically putting more emphasis on spelling errors because of her last name which wasn't the case I mean You can still argue that a spelling mistake shouldn't have been a reason to reject, which I actually did internally. But they were dead set on uh, uh, because of their clients would be dead set on that as well. So on that note, Marlies, any final thoughts?
2: I think I was really struck by what Matt was saying around that organization that starts the onboarding with employer branding and those initial candidate communications is that everything that you put out collateral-wise as a company should reflect your candidate experience. So I think, for example, HubSpot having that personalization, giving their system, think about your organization, their values, and what you stand for. Think about actionable ways that you can utilize technology. Or even if you don't have technology, you can create a lot of different email drafts to create points of personalization or that feel personalized throughout your process. I do think, sadly, treating people with respect and communicating frequently, providing feedback are, in my opinion, the two easiest ways to stand out as a recruiter, even without a great recruiter. So I think you can really help yourself stand out and create an excellent experience just by communicating frequently. And, you know, utilizing either automation or a lot of drafts or templates to help yourself. So help yourself stand out and create an experience that people will remember. But you don't have to do that alone. There's a lot of inexpensive technology on the market.
1: And on that note, I would like to thank you all for listening. Now, if you're listening to this on the Talent Savvy podcast, check out the Recruiting Future podcast. If you're listening to this on the Recruiting Future podcast, check out the Talent Savvy podcast and subscribe to the feeds. And we'll be back next week.
0: My thanks to Bass and Marlies, and you can subscribe to the Talent Savvy podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can also subscribe to the Recruiting Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future you can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com on that site you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show thanks very much for listening i'll be back next time and i hope you'll join me
2: this is my show Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that asks you what you wanna be when you grow up so you can graduate into retirement with a purpose and a passion, whether you're 25, 85, or any age in between. Gain actionable financial and mindset tips from your favorite authors, podcasters, and influencers to help you reach that exciting next chapter. Listen now and start building your path to financial freedom and reframing what retirement can mean to you. This is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate.